Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster, and together we're going to dive into the messy and the brutal, but oh-so-beautiful parts of our not-so-perfect stories, and we're going to do it with a smile. You see, we can find joy in the suffering. We can find hope in our brokenness. Because you and I can look back and see through our years how strong we have become. How we have gained wisdom and clarity that in our darkest moments, we began to shed the fake, the inauthentic, the version of ourselves we thought everyone wanted us to be. And when we broke, we broke open to a new understanding of ourselves and a new understanding of love. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Well, every time I sit here in front of this microphone, I try to picture your face, and I try to picture you are and the the wonderful thing about this is that I've gotten to meet some of you and uh, connected through Instagram and all the different ways and as I sit here I just try to imagine what you are experiencing in your week and in your day and maybe some of the struggles and challenges that you're facing try to make this time and this this community here just a place where we can talk about whatever it is that we're going through Whatever it is that may feel heavy, we can talk about the sadness and the joy. We can talk about the struggle, but also the incredible things that you and I are overcoming together. And I know sometimes when we are creating things and doing things and we're doing our life, maybe you're raising kids right now, maybe you're doing something really mundane like the dishes, or you're doing something really boring, you're you're not satisfied at your job, and you're just like kind of gutting out your day, and you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're, you know, driving in your car, and just there's a, a sense of the mundane sitting in to your spirit. I, I, I hope that this time in fun therapy in this podcast would just be a an injection of hope into your world and into your day, a connection to other people that are just like you, that you know that you are not alone. And I love hearing from you all the time. Um, I love connecting with you on Instagram, obviously. That's my favorite place to connect with people. But I also really appreciate whenever you leave a review for the Fun Therapy podcast. And I just wanted to read a couple real quick. I do check them because I'm trying to just understand what I can do better here and what uh, is helpful. And I love uh, Steph E44 says, I look forward to my 40 minute commute to work because I get time to listen to these wonderful lessons that have started to transform the way I see life and myself. Ah, that's so great. Love that. Another uh, DSF 59 says this, I am always touched on a heart level when I listen to the podcast. You quickly go deep and take me to a safe, sacred place to process my life. 
Well, that is what it is all about and an opportunity for us to process whatever it is we need to process within our hearts. And it's what I love about uh, this upcoming episode that we have with my friend Mark Pimsler. And you're going to love it. Uh, Mark is a trauma specialist and just so insightful, this conversation. And uh, But before we get to that, uh, I've got a couple of events coming up in the next month. I'd love to meet you and, and see you. Uh, going to be at the Think Better, Live Better conference. Also doing a date night event with my friends at Thrivent. I'm going to be speaking in Kansas City and Phoenix, Arizona this month on relationships and how to improve our relationships. And I'm really hoping that maybe you'll be at one of these events. By the way, if you are interested in having me at your event or conference or whatever it might be at your church, what what have you, all my speaking stuff and speaking choir stuff and my schedule is at mikefoster.tv speaking. Also, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, I encourage you to take a screen capture of your phone, tag me in it so I can reshare it, share uh, this episode with a friend and your network. Also, I want to tell you uh, about my audio bundle of seven guided meditations. A great way to start your day or end your day. It's uh, geared towards helping you reduce stress, to help you eliminate the tension in your life. Some of you are feeling that right now. Your neck is tight, your shoulders are tight, your chest is tight. All of this needs to be addressed. And the seven-day anti-anxiety meditation series will help you do that. Uh, There's seven audio meditations. It's a guided meditation, just some to help you show love to yourself. Uh, Some of them are around doing body scans and helping us identify any tension. They are at my website. You can get them right now at mikefoster.tv forward slash forward slash. (laughs) I do have, you know, I mentioned this before. I do have a small speech impediment. It just came out right there. Uh, Mikefoster.tv forward slash shop. And um, also don't forget about the brain detox guide, a free brain brain detox guide at my website. So let's talk about Mark and get into this amazing, incredible episode. I think you're going to really find this uh, meaningful and helpful and insightful as we talk about trauma and the impact of trauma. Mark is an entrepreneur, an author, and a an amazing therapist. Mark works at the on-site workshops, which we have talked about before as an experiential specialist and trainer. He's the chief creative officer for MVP Consulting and the executive director of the International Society for Experiential Professionals, which I am a member of, proud member of. Mark specializes in addressing shame and trauma. And so Mark shares for the very first time about some of his own childhood trauma he experienced and how he is turning his suffering into significance through the work that he is doing. And now this episode of Fun Therapy with my friend Mark. Much of what I do really in many ways is a corrective experience for me because I spent so much of my life not fitting in, not being a part of, literally not being welcomed at the tables that I was sitting in. 
and now to be actually asked to show up to places to be part of uh, organizations that bring me in to consult it is all totally a corrective experience and really is mission oriented for, for sure and so what was the thing in terms of the the wound the the parts of your story that that are being corrected right now well for me um so from the earliest memories i have are all really around not fitting in getting into trouble not being a part of um in fact like i i was the kid who got kicked out of three preschools before i actually was able to graduate uh preschool and then um and up until my recovery preschool was the last thing i graduated ever and um and so you know probably today i would have some kind of mental illness or diagnosis or something like that but back in in those days i no one really knew what to do with me and so my mom being the good caretaking mom that she is sought out professional help and so the help and advice that she was given she was actually recommended to take me to a psychiatric hospital and this is after seeing several therapists who didn't know what was going on with me or what was up or what to label me as and i was just really angry i was just really angry at being in this world and just really feeling i was just filled with rage and um, i couldn't sit still and i always tell the joke that in preschool my goal was not to learn to color within the lines my goal was just to stay on the page because literally i was all over the place and so eventually after seeking lots of professional help uh, my mom actually was recommended to take me to a psychiatric institute and so at seven years old, I was admitted to a psychiatric institute and was actually there for a year. Oh, wow. And so as, um, and I can remember having, one of my earliest memories was literally being seven years old, sitting at this big table with all of these white coats, presumably, presumably doctors, and I can remember they were arguing, I guess now it was like a treatment team meeting, but I can remember them arguing about what was wrong with me. And there was only one thing that they agreed on, which was there was something indeed wrong with me, but they didn't know what that was. So from a very early age, I got this very clear message that something was wrong with me and it was so bad, no one knew what it was. Mm. And what I came to find out is several months or years after I was released from this hospital, it was actually shut down for institutional abuse. And so a lot of my wounding and trauma um, occurred within that hospital. And um, I mean, I could tell you story after story after story of various instances of abuse on, on behalf of the professionals, as well as on behalf of my peers. And I was recently talking to my mom and I said to her, you know, I said, at any point, did you think that this wasn't working? You know, I mean, because my I have a nephew who when he turned seven, it just so impacted me because he was just a little boy. He was just a little boy. And it hit me that that's exactly what I looked like, except I was locked up. 
And it was such a profound experience for me. Um, but I asked my mom, I said, at any point in that year of being in this hospital, did you think that this wasn't working? And she said, yes, every single time I would come visit you, she said, and every, every two weeks, my mom would come for visitation. And she said, you just got worse and worse and worse. And so in her mind, my behavior proved that I needed to be there. And so, um, and so it just sort of blew my mind. And really, I fundamentally, wholeheartedly believe that she absolutely did the best that she could following the professional's opinions that she was given. And I am equally clear that I absolutely, as a kid, did not get what I needed. Mm. And that theme has really been replicated and reenacted over and over and over again in my life, throughout my life. And so now as a professional, um, so even, even actually even as a professional in my early career, I got fired many times <laughs> because I didn't fit in. I was doing things differently. I was doing things outside of the box. I was um, different than other clinicians. And what's interesting though now, which speaking of the corrective experience is pretty much every single place that's ever fired me as a professional has ended up hiring me back as a consultant to train their staff. Hmm. So that's part of that correction. So tell me in terms of this, this experience in the, in the hospital, I mean, you have, um, you're navigating a lot Obviously, there you, you talked about the abuse. Like, was it what type of abuse are was happening? What were they? What were the experiences that you were having to try to figure out as a young boy in this hospital? Um, what was happening there? So, one of the particular instances that I remember, my roommate was quote unquote teaching me how to clean the air conditioning vent. And it was one that was like attached to the wall in our room and on the other side went to the outside. And so he was teaching me to clean it. And then he told me, you know, I needed to clean it. And then he disappeared. And all of a sudden, I all of a sudden, about four staff members come in and tackle me because they think I'm trying to escape. And so now what I make up is my roommate set me up and, you know, told them that I was trying to escape. And so what they ended up putting me on was um, basically watch. And for them, what that meant, again, at seven years old, what that meant is that I sat on a chair facing the wall at the end of a hall where they could watch me. And so for about eight to 10 hours a day, I literally sat in a chair facing a wall with no one talking to me or and I couldn't get up. And I literally sat there and that was, I'm guessing that was for anywhere, somewhere between a month to six weeks, that every single day, seven days a week for eight to 10 hours a day, I literally sat in a chair and stared at a wall. Wow. And that's, so, and that's just one of the examples. Right? So what, I mean, maybe as the, and maybe you didn't know in terms of what you were feeling or what you were thinking in, in those moments, but looking back now, what, what were you being taught about who you were and your identity going through these, these experiences all the way from being kicked out of, you know, preschool three times to now 
being forced to stare at a wall? Um, you know, what are you learning about who you are in these moments or coming to believe about yourself? Yeah, you know, really, it was just this fundamental, inherently bad, evil, wrong thing. Like, I literally didn't, for the longest time, I didn't even relate to myself as human. Mm. And, um, and, and, and it was just because, like, over and over, it didn't matter the setting that I was in, I constantly got these messages that something is wrong with me. Mm. And so it what you know it's like it's it's one thing if you interact with one person or have one experience which is damaging in and of itself where you get this message that something's wrong with you but to have it over and over and over again it just compounded into this inherent belief which to this day I still have to challenge and oftentimes my reaction to a crisis or my reaction to a you know, situation in my current life is, oh my God, of course something happened. It's because I'm bad. I'm a bad boy, mm. right? Mm. I need to be punished. I need to be separated. I'm going to be found out as the evil thing that I am. And we'll be right back more from Mark. I want to take just a quick moment and remind you about my upcoming workshop called Strongest. I have a brand new date. It's June 15th and 16th. It's a fun therapy event. Our last three or four workshops now have sold out and I want to make sure that you can come June 15th and 16th here in San Diego. If you've been thinking about coming but putting it off, don't. Invest in your life in becoming the best and strongest you. It's time to get unstuck and let's get going. It's part group therapy, part life boot camp. I promise you'll be replenished and challenged. You will heal and grow and take radical ownership of your story. We have such a great time. There's great people from all over the country that descend upon San Diego. I don't take this lightly and I don't say this lightly, but I truly believe if you give yourself a chance, you could really make some major shifts and a major pivot in your life that would set you in a direction for health and growth. And it can happen in just two days. If you're interested in learning more about the Strongest Workshop, again, the next date is June 15th and 16th. You can visit my website at mikefoster.tv forward slash workshop, mikefoster.tv forward slash workshop. And now back to my conversation with Mark Bimsner. Um, I am a person in long-term recovery, and for me, that means since August 20th, 2004, I've not had any alcohol or drug, a substance. And as I've grown in my recovery, part of what I have recognized is that for me, I was a big fan of methamphetamine, alcohol, GHB, really just anything, cocaine, marijuana, really anything that would get me a 
even a, as temporary as possible, a pain reliever. And one of the things that it occurred to me in the process of my own work is that literally without the temporary relief of the amount of pain that I was in, I would have killed myself a long time ago had it not been for drugs and alcohol. And so for so today, I can truly, from the bottom of my heart, say I am so grateful for every single drug I ever did because it led me to today. And so one of the things that I absolutely believe is that all behavior is goal-directed and the only goal is survival. So every single thing I did at every single moment of my life is what my brain came up with to do at that moment in order to, for me to continue. Now, some of my strategies were really successful and some of them were absolutely horrific. But at the end of the day, everything I've ever done in my life has been about making it through that moment. And so when you take on that perspective, it obliterates the shame that I carried with me for all of the things that happened to me and all of the things that I did, and also informs how I look at people's behavior today. Because all behavior is goal-directed, and the only goal is survival. And so for me, alcohol and drugs or act sexually acting out or um, disordered eating, all of that has been an attempt to alleviate pain. Um, Ianla Van Zant, um, whom I just love her work, she says that pain, P-A-I-N, stands for pay attention inward now. And I did not have the ability to pay attention to my own pain. In fact, I needed a distraction. And for me, numbing out, medicating, changing the way I feel with sex, drugs, and rock and roll was all about seeking a distraction from my life because it was just too painful to be present. And so in recovery, part of the gifts of recovery is the ability to pay attention inward now, especially when I'm ever, whenever I'm in pain. It's such a, it's such a hopeful thought as you share that, that the idea, and I, I know um, so many of us beat ourselves up around seasons of our life where we are just trying to survive, right? and making decisions that are just, honestly, we're just trying to stay alive and doing our best, especially decisions we make as children, whether it means to cover up secrets or things that are happening to us. We're We're just trying to figure it out to maybe when we're in certain seasons where we're just trying to medicate with drugs or alcohol, but it is about survival. Um, and, and what I love about your work and the things that you're you're doing with people is that you're inviting them into this place where survival is not the goal, that it is actually to be able to thrive and live free and experience something so much more than that. Why... When you're working with people, and and I'm sure this is both from your own story and the people that you work with, why 
do you believe we resist when, when maybe as adults we're looking at the truth now we see things and we hear this we're like okay yes that's right why do you think there's still this resistance um to step into uh, an opportunity to thrive an opportunity to um leave the shame yeah so i look at resistance a little bit differently than the average person and so for me whether it is individual resistance or in like a therapeutic setting resistance i believe the lens in which i see resistance through is there is an individual who is masterfully taking care of themselves who is not yet willing or able to go where you want them to go so resistance is simply a way that i take care of myself because i'm not willing to go where you think i should go and so when you when i look at resistance through that lens it's not so much a resistance to step that i can intellectually cognitively know the truth and i can know that sticking in a needle in my arm is not the thing to do but if i don't heal those underlying wounds no matter how much intellect i have it's my central nervous system will take over and I will do, I will have unconscious drives that drives me to seek a temporary relief in order, because my, as a human system, as an animal, I can only take so much before the system gives up. And if I'm in pain, any animal is going, if, if an animal's in pain, it's going to do what it needs to do to relieve the pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's not an intellectual exercise. What I have to do is heal the wounds of my past so that I can be set free in the present. Otherwise, my former ways of behaving and auto, my autopilot will take, in, take over and I will crash and I will burn over and over and over again because it's not a intellectual exercise. It's a matter of survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge shift in thinking and the approach in terms of how we work with friends or family members or even in our own change that we're trying to create in our own lives um, it's hard and it's there's a lot of factors and dynamics that would say stay the same just keep doing what you're doing because at some level it's sort of working it is sort of working and we are surviving. And like you said, that my goal in life is to help shift people from merely surviving into a space where they can thrive, where they can absolutely live life on purpose. And I think that, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, so give me, like, tell me a little bit about your process in terms of how you do that. So great question. So um, one of, well, for example, things like cognitive behavioral therapy or some of the talk therapies do a phenomenal job in teaching things like coping skills and um, addressing present day issues. However, I am not on a mission to teach people to cope. I am on a mission to teach people to heal. So I utilize things like I utilize experiential therapy, which 
is instead of a top-down, from a neurological perspective, a top-down processing using the intellect to override the unconscious, experiential therapy utilizes the unconscious to heal and then bubble up and reorient the conscious mind. And so um, I use anything like um, any of the experiential methodologies such as psychodrama, adventure-based therapy, art therapy, music therapy, dance, trauma-informed yoga, um, you know, just uh, 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 music, songs, and I'll use anything in order to cultivate a new experience so that a person can heal the past and the wounds of their past. So I use experiential methodologies in order to heal the unconscious mind. And so experiential methodologies can be anything from psychodrama, adventure-based therapy, art therapy, music therapy, dance, uh, trauma-informed yoga, any of these experiences to cause a healing or corrective environment. Because when you think about it, the wound or the trauma was an experience. Right, I, we had, it was a full body experience, and it is, in a lot of ways, a limiting belief system to think that we can think ourselves out of or into healing an experience. We can't do that. What we have to do is have a new experience to heal an old experience, and that's what we call a correction. Did you ever play Mad Libs when you were a kid? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, so I can remember uh, getting um, a uh, like going on a family road trip or whatever, and getting Mad Libs. And so, for those who don't know, Mad Libs is you, on one page you would write um, like four nouns, two adjectives, three adverbs, and you'd flip the page and you'd put those words that you randomly selected into a already written story with those missing words and then it would be it would come up with this really super silly story and as i started to study our brain and the neurobiology of our thoughts and and our beliefs i came to actually find out that our brain works exactly the same way that there are tons of holes and gaps missing in our in the data of our sensory systems that we call memory. And so based on our previous experiences, we'll fill the gaps with literally the fantasies or thoughts or, or, or filters that we've experienced in the past. So what we end up calling reality is literally a Mad Lib story because it's fill, all of these gaps are filled with our own filters. And so one of the phrases that I like to use a lot is the story I'm making up is, because it actually helps to remind me that what I might be calling reality is may actually have tons of holes in it that I'm filling with my fantasy. Oh my gosh, that is so good, Mark. I That is so true and vivid and real. And I could, honestly, I look at my own story that I'm telling myself and how I've taken words uh, 
typically words formed in my shame, in pain, in the trauma from my early childhood. And I'm just placing those in these blank spaces to fill in. And it ends up not being the story that I was ultimately created to live. Absolutely. Wow. And, I, and I find I've had so many relationships go off track simply because I was either making up a story or they were making up a story mm-hmm. and we didn't lean into the relationship. And in my marriage, one of the things that has been so powerful is for us to circle back and check things out and say, hey, I'm making up that X, Y, and Z. And nine times out of 10, I will find that the story I'm making up is completely inaccurate. Mm. And so instead of how I used to act is I would nurture that resentment. I would nurture that story and it would turn like, like a lump of clay would turn to rock. And literally that would be the tablet upon, I, upon which I would write the commandments of this relationship. Mm. Wow. So good. Let me, I, I would love to have you talk about a little bit, some of your research and findings and your work around just the the topic of shame in our lives. Uh, this is this is an issue that I am so. I just believe it, it, it's part, so part of our stories, and yet we don't even see it and how it's impacting us, and how it it so often is one of those words that gets filled in with our in, with our own human story, Mad Lib. Talk to me about what is shame the how it impacts us and maybe some things in terms of how we go about releasing that from our story so it doesn't have to be one of our words yeah so for me i i didn't know about shame right it wasn't just a word that was thrown about um as i was growing up and it um I was once uh, doing a, uh, with a friend of mine, going into a homeless shelter and uh, bringing in a support group meeting. And, um, and so this homeless shelter was primarily men who they all, in order to get in, you had to be homeless and you had to be addicted. And it was basically a, a treatment center for homeless men. And so one of my friends, uh, Damon, once pulled me aside and he goes, Mark, what happens to you every single time we walk into this building? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you totally change. I said, come on. And he said, no, 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 seriously. Every single time you walk into this building, your voice gets a little deeper, your chest puffs up and your legs spread and you start, you know, acting like, you know, you're John Wayne or something. And I was like, you, you know, and I totally shut him down and shamed him because that's exactly what what we do. I think I said something to him, oh, give me a break. You know, you only have five minutes over. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And I totally Mm -hmm. shut him down. And this is a really good friend of mine who had the courage to call me out on my stuff, to hold a mirror to my life. And I totally shut him down because that's exactly what we do when we experience a shame storm, is that we offload that hurt because being with our own pain is so excruciating that I have to discharge that, literally discharge 
the charge of that emotion. I have to project it onto someone else. And I, and I didn't think about it again, right? And I totally focused on what a jerk he is until the next week when I walked into that building and I noticed that my voice got a little deeper, my chest puffed up, my legs spread, and I was acting like I was, you know, John Wayne from the wild, wild west. And it hit me. And I got really curious about what is this thing that causes me to change? What is, what is this thing that allows me to be willing to be- betray and leave who I am behind in order to fit in? And as I've spent the last decade and a half researching and studying shame, literally from the inside out, first doing my own work and then looking at the research and then going back and doing my own work only to go back to the research is that I found it's called shame and that it that it is literally tied to survival. Brene Brown talks about how belonging is one of the most fundamental drives that we have as human beings and that it's actually inextricably tied to our very survival. And it's so true because if I didn't fit into the tribe, what happened is that I got excommunicated. And what that meant is I got eaten by a woolly mammoth. So literally our ancestors figured out how to fit in. And those that didn't, didn't have offspring because they died. Mm-hmm. And so it's hardwired into our very being that we need to fit in at all costs, even if it means hiding, masking, altering, shifting who we actually are in order to say to the world, who do you want me to be so that I literally don't die? Mm. One of the things that you mentioned in the workshop was this idea of shame happens in relationship uh, to each other. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So Patricia DeYoung defines, um, so she's got a great book, um, and she defines shame as, she says, shame is the experience of one's felt sense of self disintegrating in relation to a dysregulated other. And so part, and I know it's a super complicated definition, but part, <laughs> but literally, so if we unpack that definition a little bit, so shame is the experience. First and foremost, shame is not a feeling. It is not a mental health condition. Shame is a full on, full body, full contact sport experience, meaning that there are thoughts associated with shame. There are physiological symptoms associated with shame. For me, I know I'm in shame when my throat closes up, my hands start to sweat, my stomach contracts. There are emotional components with shame. I start to feel dark and and sad and feel the need to hide. So there's all these different components of shame. So shame is not a feeling, it's an experience um, of our felt sense of self. So basically, what is your felt sense of self? It's your identity. It's the story you make up about yourself, the world in which you live, and the people in it. And it's, and it's that story that in part informs your identity. Your identity. So shame is our felt sense of self disintegrating, meaning that there's a fracturing of self in relation with a dysregulated other. So when I am in relationship with someone who doesn't know how to be with their own emotions and they offload their hurt onto me, I embody and internalize their hurt, which then becomes crystallized within my worldview, and that's what we call shame. 
So there literally is no such thing as original or organic shame in the research. Shame, in order for shame to happen, it has to happen in an experience with another human being. And so shame can only happen in a relationship and conversely, shame can only be healed within a relationship. Well, friend, I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with the amazing Mark Bimsler. I'd love for you to continue to lean into Mark's insight and his knowledge. And probably the best way to do that is to uh, visit his website, MVP, mvp-consulting.net. He has a wide range of different experiential resources and things that will help you along your journey. Also want to make sure that you get his book, which is titled, titled Facilitated Growth, Experiential Activities for Recovery and Wellness. Listen, if you are working with people, if you're a counselor, a therapist, uh, maybe you're doing group work um, at your church or any any type of helping work, I encourage you to get Mark's resources. I bought his book, Facilitated Growth. I use actually some of the exercises and things within my my work and I love it. He also is working on a another book that's coming out here shortly, Experiential Motivational Interviewing, an Action-Oriented Way of Being. Listen, if you have any if you're if you're struggling with shame, trauma, working through those things in your own life, you need to take the next step with Mark. If you're helping those who are suffering from PTSD or addiction or anything regards in regards to or connected to trauma, again, mvp-consulting.net, mvp-consulting.net. Also, if you have enjoyed this episode, Please share it with your friends and followers. Take a screenshot of your phone right now and post it. I'll make sure to uh, repost it if you tag me in it. Uh, My Instagram handle is MikeFoster2000. Thanks for listening. I want to say thanks um, to Sleeping at Last for the beautiful music. Don't forget about the upcoming Strongness Workshop and the guided meditations and the free Brain Detox download which all can be found at my website at mikefoster.tv. Remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers, and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast.